Hey everyone! Hello! Before we get started this week, we have a quick review shout out. Yeah. Reminder if you review us on Apple Podcasts, rate and reveal, you will receive your very own Badass Lady Meter rating. And we will put you upon the Badass Lady Meter that so many other characters have walked before, even if you're a dude. <laughs> so, <laughs> this review is from Arya Benson. Arya, thank you so much for the five-star review. We really appreciate that you're listening. And your rating is a musty forgotten tome that hasn't been seen for a thousand years, but that all three of us have read. <laughs> if you'd like your own Badass Lady Meter rating, go on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, and we'll shut you out. Thank you so much for listening. And keep in mind that when you leave us a five-star review, it helps other people who would also love our podcast uh, find it. It becomes more accessible. So you're just you're just helping our entire community of book lovers. Thanks, Dragon Babies. And now the episode. Yeah. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they're maybe even better for adults. Yes. This week, we are discussing Spindle's End by Robin McKinley. Ooh, Ooh spindles, curses, <laughs> wishes, fairies. That atmosphere. <laughs> this book was published in... 2001. This is our second Robin McKinley book that we've covered. And if you're a big fan, like we are, be sure to check out our Hero and the Crown episode. So we'll start off with a quick marketing breakdown of the cover and the way that the publisher chose to package and promote this book. I like this cover a lot. Before Grace says anything, even though it's her turn, I just want to get it in there. Thumbs up. This cover is amazing. I <laughs> fully remember a piece of art I made when I was like a freshman in high school that is definitely just a ripoff of this cover. Uh, and it's amazing when you look back at these things. And at the time, you don't realize how solidly you're ripping something off because you're, a, you know, a child or a teenager. Yeah. And you're just like, I'm so full of creativity. <laughs> and uh, mom told me this is great. <laughs> exactly. I'm the best. <laughs> Um, and, uh, you don't really stop and consider exactly what it is that you're doing, but mine was very similar. It had branches framing a big kind of spooky manor in a field. Um, this cover, the color scheme is amazing. It yeah. has all the little creatures that, so cool. um, help Kat and Rosie throughout their lives. And it features Woodwold, which is where the climax of the book takes place. Interesting because you don't get to it until like the last third of the book maybe even later but it's fun going through the book waiting for that mysterious manner that's pictured to and show I, up i feel like they do touch upon it pretty early they just mention that the when they're describing the live in woodwold yeah, yeah but exactly. then that's it mm -hmm. so that's left to our anticipation um there's also a little spider coming down which i know Manuel probably doesn't like but i love that spider it's character. okay i'm i'm more into spiders these days possibly because <laughs> of our our podcast because the spiders in these stories are usually are benevolent yeah, yeah they're so wise and helpful so uh, turning around to the back um i will just quickly read the summary Princess in hiding. Okay, first of all, before I even get into it, that annoys me. I don't like that that's the way they open. But this is a book that I think is probably hard to market. Okay. All the creatures of the forest and field and riverbank knew the infant was special. She was the Princess Briar Rose, spirited away from the evil fairy Pernicia on her name day. But the curse was cast. Some unknown time in the future, Rosie would prick her finger on the spindle of a spinning wheel and fall into a poisoned sleep from which no one could rouse her. Catriona is the princess's kidnapper and savior. A young fairy she is apprenticed to and lives with her aunt in the small village of Foggy Bottom. The two of them raise the princess as if she were their own in order to protect her. No other human, not even Rosie herself, knows her true identity. But Pernicia is looking for her, and Pernicia is formidably powerful and tirelessly intent on revenge for a defeat 400 years old. Two village fairies and all the animals in the realm may not be able to save Rosie. Ellipses. 
Then we have a starred review at the bottom from Booklist, full of humor and romance, as well as magic and adventure, a spellbinding novel. Okay, so very quickly before you give us an actual summary and outline based on what they think will make people buy it. I like the general plot details that they've included. I feel like they're misrepresenting the book. It's okay. Um, And, you know, we'll talk more about this, but I think this plays into what I think is a problem with the way Rowan McKinley's books have been promoted is that her work is so much more complex and interesting. And it's so much more epic and layered in scope than Mm -hmm. the bag ever. Like that just makes it sound pretty straightforward. It sounds like a straight up sleeping beauty. And it's so far from that. Um, It's actually like a perfect inversion of sleeping beauty, but we'll talk more about that in a moment. So Madeline, would you like to give us a little plot summary for folks who haven't read this book before, or maybe just haven't read it since they were wee ones? Yeah, so we were just speaking about this in the the inky realm that is non-podcast recorded <laughs> of conversation. I mean, is it real? Is it real? <laughs> is it real? Just a fog. I only a, trust a magical my voice fog. I can hear it. <laughs> a magical fog. Uh, the the story itself, you could call it linear because events lead to events, but there's so much in that that. Okay, we're going to discuss that. It's like basically linear, but going from one parallel universe to another. Yeah, and there's just so many facets and layers. It's like a whole spectrum of a story. Mm -hmm. So anyways, the story, um, a young girl from the village, Foggy Foggy Bottom, bottom. in the gig. Don't pass up an opportunity to say Foggy Bottom (laughs) again. (laughs) Foggy Bottom, Foggy Bottom. (laughs) Uh, She's chosen from her village to go to the prison princess's uh, name day celebration. One person from each village in the land is uh, chosen through straw drawing, enchanted straw drawing so that they can't be enchanted or cheated um, to go to the christening or the name day, sorry. Uh, 21 fairies are also chosen to be godparents to the baby. Uh, It's very important that there's no magic in royal blood, but all the fairies are going to be there to give her uh, a gift. Mm -hmm. So... Catriona, who starts out as our protagonist, um, she goes to the ceremony, watches as uh, she receives pretty silly gifts from fairies, and then... Very superficial. Yeah. And then Pernicia shows up, um, steals the last wish from the one male fairy who was going to give it to her, and uh, Pernicia lays a terrible curse that is described on the back of the book, that she will die, basically... Yes. Prick her finger and die. Yeah. But I, doesn't she, she doesn't say. She says poison die. sleep and poison then she, sleep. I think she says die. You're right. Yeah. 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 Um, and then everyone freaks out. And then Catriona runs up to the baby and starts telling her that she wants to protect her, that she wants to give her her mm-hmm. gift because Catriona is a fairy to be able to talk to animals. Um, she accidentally gives her the gift and then the king and queen's fairy sees this happen, realizes that the best, safest thing for Rosie, as she comes to be known, uh, is to just get her out of there. Um, so Catriona takes her home, and they raise her as uh, Catriona and her aunts. Um, well, her aunt's niece. Mm-hmm. because Yeah, because she's also supposedly from... Um, someone else's orphan parents, or she's orphaned, her parents die. Yes. That's the story. <laughs> and very quickly, um, we forgot to put in our disclaimer, we do spoil every book that we cover before we discuss it. So that's about to happen. So <laughs> please go read the book if you're interested. Um, and then we are treated to 20 years of watching Rosie grow up. Yeah, it's great too. It's really fantastic to watch. Uh, Rosie speaks to animals in a way that uh, it's atypical for fairies to be able to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, she becomes an apprentice horse leech, which mm-hmm. is like the... Um, like a horse vet slash... Slash black chewer. Kind of, yeah, yeah in a way. Um, and she falls in love with the master blacksmith slash the horse leech. Um, master of grump. Yeah, master of grump, gnarl. Uh, and then she also befriends another girl in town who came to the town under very similar circumstances mm-hmm. uh, and uh, has a lot in common with Rosie. Her name's Peony. 
um, just realized that they both have flower names. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, when the one male fairy shows up uh, a few months before Rosie's 21st birthday, when the curse is finally supposed to break, mm-hmm. after everyone in the kingdom is waiting to see what's going to happen, the king and queen are just pretending they have Rosie mm-hmm. and are moving her from place to place to protect her. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pernicia hasn't been able to find her. Um, then they all come together, disguise Rosie as um, Peony's handmaid, and they disguise Peony as the princess. Uh, then Pernicia shows up. <laughs> yep. uh, but Peony uh, pricks her hand on the spindle because she throws herself onto the spindle that Pernicia brought with her. <laughs> She brought her own spindle. Portable spindle. Um, Because this is a key uh, plot point that there are a great many rules uh, put forth about spindles and the size that they can be. Because that was part of the curse, explicitly. Um, So spindles need to be thicker than the pinky finger of a baby. Um, and they basically develop an entirely new spinning method and culture around and, the carved crafting gorgeous wooden spindles. Yeah. I love that part. It's super it's really incredible. Yeah. yeah. Um, and after Peony sacrifices herself, Rosie, along with Snarl and all of her animal friends, <laughs> go and defeat Pernicia. And uh, in the end, they they win. Uh, Pernicia's defeated, and Rosie wakes Peony from her sleep by kissing her, which I just thought was great. That was like an awesome There's part of the story. So many interesting, yeah, interesting like you moments. said, an inversion. Um, mm-hmm. and with that gesture, Rosie transfers the part of herself that was the princess yeah. into Peony, her princesshood. Because Rosie didn't want to be the princess, and Peony was much better suited to it. She's even in love with the dude that's been supposed to marry the princess for yeah. ten years <laughs> because of another proc- like proclamation or like promise yeah, that took yeah. on a magical force. Um, so Peony becomes the princess, and uh, Rosie stays in the village to be the horse leech mm-hmm. and to marry Narl. <laughs> yeah, and hang mm-hmm. and keep hanging out with Catriona and mm-hmm. Aunt. and and. Catriona's husband and children Barter, and her, yeah. you know, adopted family that she loves so much. Mm-hmm. And, and all her animal friends. She has much more, many more ties to than the actual royal family from whom she is mm-hmm. biologically descended. Yeah. So this book is very, very good. <laughs> and I need to make a little dragon babies proclamation right now. Only speaking for myself, obviously, not for Madeline. Um, but my own woman (laughs) in rereading these books now, two times I've been so blown away by how talented Robin McKinley is. And I think she might be the best writer that we've covered. Um, and you know, I don't like comparing in that way, but what I really mean to say is that no, I know what you mean. I appreciate her writing so much more as an adult, yeah. and I can well, see how much there is there that I just didn't appreciate when I was younger. Because as a kid, her books are hard. Yeah, I I read, I got through her books, but I struggled to get through them. Um, well, it wasn't. I mean, reading Hero on the Crown and Spindles End now, I basically like sprinted through them. Right. It's hard to not keep going. But when I was a kid, it was more like trying to read Tolkien mm-hmm. as a kid, mm-hmm. where it was just so thick. There are a lot of complex thoughts. And, yes. Yeah. Um, just concepts and the way that her worlds work. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, the magic systems in this book are very different and intriguing. And the fact that reality and magic are kind of always at war with one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I read it now, it's very funny and it reminds me of Terry Pratchett at a lot of moments yes, too. Yes, definitely. Um, just like human beings definitely. struggling to get by and like, yes. cope with all these ridiculous things like that the, are happening around they them. They can't eat fish because there's so much magic in water that fish will just mess you up yeah <laughs> creatures that live in water are terrifying yes and they're constantly changing into other beings and then they feel like okay is has this been my whole life i guess so like i'm just a bird now and rereading it made me think, butterflies change oh butterflies yeah. yeah it just makes me um think about a lot of really deep interesting concepts like in their world, what is reality and what is magic? Mm-hmm. Like, which one is winning? It almost feels like um, 
mad everything has already been changed in some way. So how can they tell like what's, you know, supernatural yeah. and what has always been the way it was? Right. Like it's yeah. always shifting. Uh-huh. And I feel like that's such a fascinating approach and it makes me much more interested to read about a world like that because it makes it feel more real to me too yeah. mm-hmm. um and make me feel like i'm you know maybe i'm living in that world as well and i just yeah don't know no i mean it really it's a mind opening book like it just gives itself to fostering creative and fantastical thought in the reader which is pretty exciting that's what we it. like here at Dragon Babies. <laughs> it, really it really is. And I love the thought that um, babies have... Yes, baby magic! ...mischievous, like chaotic, yes. um, magical approach to life. Because they're have such to be, like, like kept by fairies. Yeah, because they're such blank canvases and magic just gets up Magic's always trying and... to grab onto things. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I Literally with the sticky magic dust that forms on people's tea kettles and the yeah. kettles have to be cleaned before they can use them and they yeah. have to tell their loaves of bread to stay bread before bread, they stay eat bread. them. <laughs> I, yeah, it, if... If you're only interested in like discovering a new kind of magic system, I would recommend this book just for that. Um, yeah, just this one book. But the, then it the also so well but thought then it out. Also has this incredible take on Sleeping Beauty, and you know, faithful listeners know that we love fairy tale retellings, and the more creative and bizarre, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, this one really neatly inverts Sleeping Beauty. I love that. The princess is actually one of the only people who isn't sleeping after the curse takes Uh hold um, and is the one who rescues everyone, rescues everyone, ends her own curse and then kisses herself Mm -hmm. basically well like puts her princess essence into her best friend yeah because at that point peony and rosie have almost become become the same person and they're breathing at the same rhythm feeling the same emotions which is also so cool and creepy that entire part of the book is really unsettling and you really feel rosie's anxiety as she's preparing to face whatever is going to happen on her birthday it's really funny seeing all of the like courtiers and royals (laughs) stuff and they're all just like this is going to be great and meanwhile rosie's just walking around and you feel this like giant cloud of doom and robin mckinley writes that doom so well um because it starts when rosie first um when she's a teenager and cat gets married Mm. this is when the perspective first shifts from cat to rosie which is another interesting thing that yeah robin mckinley does um Cat is not only the protagonist, but the book is entirely from her perspective up until I wrote it down, chapter 11. <laughs> and um, when she gets married, the book in the middle of a chapter actually just shifts to being from Rosie's perspective. Then the rest of the book is about Rosie as the main character. It's really funny. I didn't even notice when it happened. Yeah, it's, it was really interesting because I at first was like, I miss Cat because yeah. she's a great character. Yeah. And we had spent so many years with her. So much her, time with her. Starting from when she was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, but Rosie is an excellent character too. And it was really fun to get yeah. to spend the rest of the book with her. Um, but... Uh, Wait, why did I say that initially? Okay, so when the perspective shift happens, Rosie is basically describing a deep depression that she's experiencing. Mm -hmm. And she's feeling kind of disassociated from her life and she doesn't understand what her identity is. Mm -hmm. And as the readers, we know that it's because she is secretly a princess. But the way it's written, I thought was really, really relatable. I mean, I'm not secretly a princess, I don't think. (laughs) Maybe I just haven't found out yet. It's like, where's my Hogwarts letter? That kind of thing. It's all coming. Um, and just kind of going through that with her is really painful. Yeah. As she tries to become an adult, but she doesn't realize that she doesn't have the tools to do that because she's, this whole part of her life has been hidden from her. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm just such a huge fan of her. It's very different from the last Robin McKinley book we read where, uh, the main character becomes the total opposite of what she wants Mm -hmm. to do because of a sense of duty and everything she does is just trying to serve her kingdom and they're all jerks to her the whole time. And then in this book where Rosie gets to stay in the town and marry the person she loves and stay with her animal friends and her family and, and she really like 
she gets what deep down she wants yeah. instead of being forced to do uh, like her duty, which she doesn't want to do. Yeah, she completely gives up her duty and she's not, you know, negligent about the kingdom. No, um, not she's at all. always thinking about once she knows her identity, she's thinking about what she can do to try to save everyone because the curse is much broader than just her falling into a poison yeah, sleep. It's like the whole kingdom. Pranish also dying. says, and the entire kingdom will be destroyed. Will be destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> and it's because of something that happened 400 years ago that she is still pissed about. Um, it happens off page. Yeah, that's right. But Pranisha just can't let it go. Pranisha is oh such a bummer, man. She's really mean too. She's impressively mean. She like is how a cruel truly she is. Nasty villain. Yeah. And I think in so many works for young people, the villains are, you know, somewhat like charming or have their human moments. They're just up there like monologuing, being exactly. classically evil, but she is like cruel. She really wants to kill Rosie and she really wants to put the kingdom under her fist and mm-hmm. just smush it. Smush it. Smush it. And I thought that was really impressive too and super different. I mean, even if we compare her just to. Probably the most famous, you know, evil fairy from a Sleeping Beauty retelling, which is Maleficent from the Disney movie. Um, she's similarly like bad to the bone. <laughs> she's not a, light, a nice lady. And I'm talking about the, the cartoon Sleeping Beauty, not the Maleficent movies that have come out recently that star Angelina Jolie as Maleficent <laughs> because those movies are all about humanizing her. Uh, I haven't. Okay, I'm going to <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, yes. I, I watched one of those movies from someone else's view screen on a plane. So I'm sure you really <laughs> enjoyed it. I know. I Whenever I do that, I'm like, I'm ruining this for myself right yeah. now. Even if this is a good movie, there is no was way not impressed. that I'm capturing any of it. And mm. I really like it. Um, I think it's really interesting. Uh I don't. I don't even remember the cartoon Sleeping Beauty because I watched it when I was little and I got scared, and then I never watched it again. Okay, <laughs> I watched it a lot. But I remember the songs though because of the sing-alongs tapes that we had. Yes, <laughs> we had so many sing-alongs. <laughs> sing-along songs. That's how um, our parents would try to quiet us. Mollify us. Just <laughs> <laughs> put one on, and if we finish one, we've got like a dozen other ones. <laughs> I don't think we even sang most of the time. We would just like watch the bouncing Mickey. No, head. yeah, we didn't yeah, sing. We didn't. We sing. just watched. It's. It was basically like YouTube before YouTube. You would just get like all the most fun, very clips true. Yeah, it was from just movies. A clip compilation. <laughs> YouTube for small children. Okay, we're tangenting really hard right now. Okay, but um, basically. I really like that she was such a, and this is a funny thing to say, like a one dimensional character, but she's thoroughly evil to the point where she feels like a God or like a force, just like, a force and not a person, like something that's yes. been in exactly. the universe for all time, yeah. which is appropriate for the figure that she is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I also and it makes more sense in this context too. I mean, what person would want to completely destroy the mm-hmm. thing they want to have? You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. No, exactly. And I think her like the depth that Robin McKinley manages to create for Pernicia, uh, it is also seen elsewhere in the book um, where there's just this history that's developed for the kingdom that they're living in um, with short passages and brief moments but it feels consistent throughout like when they talk about the fireworm battles that destroyed an entire area of the kingdom um it feels like everything is returned to and every character knows about it you know it's not the kind of thing where like the protagonist at one point is just like oh the battle i remember it and then no one else ever discusses it again no she's excellent at world building she's so talented seriously yeah (laughs) so amazing um and i also love the romantic relationships in this book which is rare for me (laughs) in fantasy um 
Were they just grumpy enough this time that it worked so grumpy? I love it. (laughs) No, it's because okay. Well, first of all, we haven't done a romantic realism segment for a while because we haven't had like much romance in the last few books we've covered. Crown Duel didn't have anything for one reason or another. We haven't done it, but let's do it now. Let's do it right now. Um, It's because everyone who falls in love spends a significant amount of close time with one another, shares experiences, shares hardships. Mm -hmm. Um, They have these really... Significant, like, 10 to 20 years. Yeah, (laughs) decades. Yeah. (laughs) That's what love is, I believe. Um, It's being best buds, man. Yeah. and Being able to hang out in the horse yard all day and not talk to each other. <laughs> if you, because you don't feel like it, if you don't, but you're learning to. from each other yeah. throughout. Exactly, you can be quiet together. I mean, and if you if that's what together. works for you, that wouldn't work for me. But I mean, right, works for Rosie and Narl. <laughs> Narl, <laughs> and granted, we don't know how old Narl is exactly, but part of that is that people are just kind of like oh, Narl. I don't know, like what's up with that guy anyway. No one ever really like characterizes him to the extent where we can get a clear picture of that. He was working as a blacksmith when Rosie was a child. So but he's I kind of assume at least like 10, 12 years older than her. Yeah. That's what um, I assumed. Yeah. But I, he's not like an old guy. No, because he has black hair. Mm-hmm. So so that means he's not, you know And no beard. Old. Oh uh, yes, beards come with age. No, right? Isn't that is it that he has a beard or doesn't have a beard? Because fairy said he doesn't have a beard. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't have a beard because he can still shave even though he's a fairy. Well, and and this that's why is... the horse is afraid of him because she's like, oh, smiths usually have beards, and that guy has no beard. A part of the magic system in this world, there's so many superstitions that are born from it because people are just doing their damn best to like keep a grip on their reality. And one of these is that smiths can't be possibly be fairies because fairies can't handle iron and then because of that smiths are also expected to have beards because fairies can't grow beards so it's like multiple steps of superstitions interlocking and like forcing different really really feel the creation of a world that's been dealing with these this magic for yeah it's like this is these people's lives and these seem like layers and layers of folk they seem like the natural conclusions they'd come to Mm -hmm. over time yeah (laughs) even if they seem a little ridiculous on surface level it's like okay yeah i understand how this right connected. yeah well and that's something else that Narl and rosie share they both have their own magical abilities because rosie can talk to animals because she can talk to animals yeah, yeah. she's just different because fairies can't really do that right yeah and but people but who she's... aren't fairies or magicians aren't really which is another thing that reminded me of terry pratchett yeah, yeah totally the, the, the wizards say the analog to the yes pratchett versus the witches world. who are the fairies yeah mm-hmm. and the magicians are similarly academic and useless yes um we don't. I don't think there's a single actual magician character in the book. Even they just always talk no, about they just them as like them. being off <laughs> to like, the side, trying. like God yeah, help them. being useless. Um, yeah. So Narl and Rosie are both outsiders. Um, something we haven't mentioned about Rosie, but is important to mention. I think is that in spite of all her blessings, she is very like plain looking, and she does her best to hide the blessings mm-hmm. like her hair is supposed to curl perfectly into golden ringlets so she keeps it like two inches long so it yeah. just stands straight out from her head yeah and she cuts her eyelashes because they're super long as well and it's terrifying when she accidentally embroiders for the first time and she basically goes into like a fugue state yeah and embroiders something of incredible beauty and that is a moment when pernicia is able to figure out where she is because she feels some of the blessings yeah. taking mm-hmm. hold and being active I I love those little moments when you feel the magic threads that are pulled just resulting in a little tug somewhere else in the kingdom. Yeah, for like sure. Like when Kat is able to visit the queen um, as kind of a, I don't know, specter of some kind because they're both thinking about Rosie so intensely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she sits, you know, on her bed with her uncomfortable. Well, and she her. even is thinking about the queen, like imagining sitting yes. with the queen, telling her about exactly. her daughter. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I like that kind of magic. It's, it's basically cool. like love based in a yeah. lot of ways. Through love like and connection. Based. Yeah. Um, that makes a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. 
The other thing about romantic realism I wanted to say is that I love Cat and Barter's relationship. I love their relationship. <laughs> I cried when he proposed. That's her. so sweet. I, to be honest, cried a lot reading <laughs> this book, and I finished it on an airplane, much to the delight of everyone around me. Good, good. But the Meryl. I know. Oh, okay, we'll talk about the Meryl in a second. We can have an animals moment oh it's hard for me to even talk about um do we do we even have a segment that's we always discuss the animal we talk about the special it like um spirit animals and you know familiars that the main characters have yeah just like animals animals <laughs> in this book because all great like, catch <laughs> just like animals now for just like animals animals, animals in this book animals in this book <laughs> no just Barter and Cat basically, you know, growing up liking each other and yeah. spending so much time together. Him coming over and whittling at their All, house. He has at his, the his end own of the chair. Day. He has that's his own like chair the designated spot. barter chair. And the special gargoyle spindle that is essentially the you know token of good faith and hope that yeah. allows them to mm-hmm. like, make it through the curse is one that was made by Barter. He's really good at making spindles. I love how uh, practical they both are and just like, we don't have enough money to get married and we're never going to, so whatever. But then he's um, made the head, what does he do? Makes baskets and barrels. (laughs) I'm not up on my medieval jobs. (laughs) Well, the jobs in this village don't seem too correlated with reality. I don't know. Maybe they are. Well, the fact that there's a whole spindle industry right. is you yeah. know, unique for, He's a, for starters. He does woodworking, woodworking too. And also, um, I can't remember what his actual job is. Sorry, guys. I read this like two weeks ago. Or bad. Um, yeah. I love both those relationships a lot. And I think it's really sweet when Rosie, who has convinced herself that Norrell loves Peony, um, where, but and he basically has to just explicitly tell her, no, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> and that the so reason his face it. looked so sad and stricken wasn't because he was in love with Peony when he saw Peony and Roland mm-hmm. meeting each other. It was because he realized he was in love with Rosie. I know. <laughs> and it was the moment that she realized she was in love with him. Yes. So cute. So, so perfect. So another sign of just top tier writing. that can be grumpy together forever. Basically. Two grumps. Okay. So I think we've like thoroughly discuss the humans mm-hmm. let's do just like animals animals in this book animals in this book keep with that i really need to talk about the meryl and there's one passage in particular i need to read because not only did i i read this i read it again and again and then i wrote it down and then i started crying and then i thought of a tattoo idea actually oh. okay but let me read the passage The Meryl also knew its wing had not healed, but I could reach a great height once more before it failed me, it said, and from there I would fold my wings and plummet to the earth as if a hare or a fawn had caught my eye, but it would be myself I stooped toward. It would be a good flight and a good death, and so I eat their dead things cut up on a pole, dreaming of my last flight. Like, I'm speechless (laughs) reading it's one of the most beautiful things I feel like I've ever read. It's so sad. Um, and even though this is a, you know, chained bird talking about its death wish, I really relate to it in a lot of ways. <laughs> no, just the, you know, just that longing to be completely free. And after I thought about the Meryl for a while, I looked up Meryl and it's not a real bird. It's something that Robin McKinley I made I kind up. of figured, yeah. I didn't <laughs> even look it up. It. <laughs> Someone's asking her, like, I just love the great white Meryl so much. Can you tell me more? <laughs> I can't find I it. I mean, she says it has like a 10 foot wingspan. Yeah, like, it's enormous. It's, yeah, that's, I don't know if there's it's just any wise bird. and beautiful and fake. Maybe a condor? I don't. Yeah, it's condor-esque, I think. Well, I'm just trying to think of if, if there are any or, um, living birds with a ten foot wingspan, or a uh, the Australian bird. Um, oh, the one that can't fly. No, uh, the one from um, Rescuers Down Under. <laughs> just really <laughs> showing the depths of my. That, I didn't like that movie either because it also That's such a good movie scared me and also it's made me sad. Um, Is that the one with the weird lizard? Yes. Uh, he's scary. In the poacher. He's scary. <laughs> That's my best Australian accent. I'm oh. sorry. 
Um, yeah, blokes. I don't know that's English. I don't remember. But the Meryl is the one who defeats Pernicia. The Meryl sacrifices himself and has his and final gets his flight. last flight. Yeah, he goes all the and way into the earth. plummets with her into the earth. And while the Meryl has the most dramatic involvement in Pernicia's defeat, the score of other creatures who have loyalty to Rosie... Uh, make it possible for Rosie and Narl, just the two of them, and then a pack of animals to uh, find and reach Pernicia's weird, confusing sky castle um, and create, uh, they basically <laughs> create like illusions of spitting cats that oh, are I guided by Rosie's cat um, to attack these uh terrifying like nothing creatures it's hard to talk about that part because it's all very in um, the mind mental yeah and uh this is another moment where robin mckinley is just amazing um the way she writes that entire portion of the book is really scary and unsettling and i feel deeply unsettled and like question my own reality while reading it um, but it's it's hard to recap exactly what everything looks like and what they're fighting and yeah. what the castle is like. And they're like in the sky, but they also like jumped down to it. Right. Um, yeah. And it's all kind of confusing. But I did really love the part where there's hundreds of hissing cats. Yeah. That yeah. are all illusions created by Gnarl, but are based yeah. off of Flinks. That's the cat's name, right? Flinks, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the horses. Oh, yeah. The horse, the horse who almost kills himself to yeah. get Rosie away from mm-hmm. Pernicious forces. Yeah. I'm sorry. I can't remember his name. I read this too long ago. I think his name is Fast. Oh, yeah. It's Fast. Yeah. Yeah. It's Fast, who's another horse who. Um, you, so Rosie has a hugely positive impact on a lot of um, Lord Prendergast's horses because mm-hmm. they've been you know, consigned to some kind of singular role and that's all they're allowed to do. So like they're a breeder or they're a racehorse um, right? Yeah. or they're like a show horse and then they're not allowed to live the full rich horse life that they're interested in living. And um, because she can talk to animals, she figures out what it is they need and then how to convince the humans to give it to them. Mm-hmm. So she's like their champion. Yeah. Um, and fast, you know, he, he loves running. But he nearly kills himself um, because he runs. He nearly so runs fast himself to so death. Long. Yeah, and Rosie has to force him to keep walking so that his muscles mm-hmm. won't seize up. And, and even uh, down to the tiniest of the little lap dogs that are with her. Yeah, and we'll get into this more in pretend food. But animals save humans starting from the very beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the main characters would not have made it even to the point of the curse taking hold without the creatures in their lives, which oh, is yeah, really cool. Most definitely. And I think there's such an interesting parallel between the animal world and the human world where it it really plays like they're both coexisting mm-hmm. and the humans aren't necessarily, you know, controlling the animals or like at a level above them. They're right. coexisting. Again, it's another one of those like multiple reality layers that Robin McKinley creates. And um, that, sorry, go ahead. No, just these two different civilizations living side by side. And that's why a big part of why the curse ultimately fails is because, well, okay, also why it's allowed to take hold in the first place. But when Kat and Ikor, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I thought Ikor. Ikor. Um, when they create the glamour that makes everyone think that Peony is the princess mm-hmm. and Rosie is not. Yeah. They forget about the animals. So they glamour all the humans, but the animals are like, why is everyone acting this way? And they're like, princess, they know what are you doing? Like, yeah. And here. magic is very dependent in the system mm-hmm. on like what people believe. And Pernicia forgets about the animals too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they don't go to sleep. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that, that it's really, really interesting to have that entire super powerful force, mm-hmm. just creature force um, that's yeah. overlooked by everyone. And then they're like, you guys forgot about us. Like, we're just as involved in this For as sure. you are. Yeah. So as I mentioned, some of the many of the animals in the book are inherently connected to my favorite segment, pretend food. Pretend food. Yum, yum. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
pretend food in this book is not extensive. Robin McKinley in this book, I think is less interested in food than she was in hero in the crown because we don't get the great details. Like, um, uh, not Talat, that's the horse's name, but Malak, is that the Malak, name yeah, of the that's what coffee, it is. like chocolatey drink coffee, that they have, that Aaron wine, has, drink, oh, yeah. I want some, uh, P.S., you know, fund, fund our fantasy cookbook, we'll have that for there you There will soon. be butter pies. There will be butter pies, that's what the name is, <laughs> there will be butter pies. <laughs> I drink your butter pie, <laughs> I drink it up. Um... When Kat is taking Rosie as a little baby away from the, I mean, I don't even know what to call it, the castle, the center of the kingdom. Cataclysm. They have to venture all the way to Foggy Bottom in the gig, which they say is what? It's over a month's journey. Um, yeah, it took her like 50 days or something to get there on, really the, on the way there. Yeah. And then coming back, she has a baby. She's on foot. She is a teenager, so she can't nurse the baby. And she had no idea that she'd be taking a baby back with her. Yeah. So she's not prepared in any way. And she does some really creative things just with creating like baby slings and the way that she manages her clothes. Um, but if it were not for the nursing creatures the mothers the animal mothers that feed rosie on the way back they wouldn't have made it mm-hmm. and she would have died um and that that pretend food that like animal milk that's mm-hmm. fed to rosie countless and really animal milk yeah some, i think cements her beast speak as for they sure. call it for sure um is so crucial to the plot mm-hmm. and i think that's what gives her you know beyond being able to speak to animals she has such a connection to them mm-hmm. and there are some there's one the fox the um like male fox yeah. who helped them at the very beginning, mm-hmm. um, who stays in her life and is, you know, in the book throughout and helps defeat Pernisha. Well, because he says, to, well, it's his offspring because right. he says to her, if, he, if ever a fox comes to you and says your name, then you must do what that fox says. And that's how Catriona knows when that fox pops up and it's yeah. like, wake up, Catriona, you have to help. Yeah. And she's like, oh, <laughs> it is time. Yeah, thank you. Foxes don't live 18 years. No, I don't think. We're getting no into dangerous territory, like with our badger talk during our Red Bull. <laughs> what is? Yes, we still don't know anything about badgers. So <laughs> we haven't learned our lesson, despite some furious Wikipedia ing. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I, I love that that whole part of the book is so fascinating. It's another moment of like interesting narrative structure where we start with this really desperate journey, and that brings me to my next pretend food point. This book is interesting because it's both, it's the rare breed of being both a hungry book and a feast book. Mm. And I don't know if we've covered another that incorporates the two quite so strongly. And that's because we have multiple, you know, royal celebrations as Red, well. Redwall, maybe? When people get really hungry. Redwall's and never then a hungry book. They always have food to eat. I guess that's true. Yeah, There's a lot of food Their around. larders are always Nut well cheeses. stocked. <laughs> Yeah, they, they don't go. They don't go without. the. So I feel like the animal offerings get a lot more description than the human foods <laughs> that come later in the book. I, I, so I off the top of my head, I mean, granted, I read this two weeks ago, but I can't remember anything super specific. I'm actually having trouble, yeah, remembering. Especially because Rosie is like in a total disassociative terror the entire time yeah. that her 21st birthday celebrations are taking place. Yeah, I don't think there's very much like love in this book and that's okay yeah no that's that's fine i guess <laughs> we won't hold it against you anyway <laughs> cheer me up by writing in with your favorite pretend foods dragon babies podcast at gmail and then explain why it's butter pie yes thank you madeline <laughs> um so closing out pretend food i think for now the animal milk is really the like most important one to me and the one that really stands out to me um I think we got to define and identify our badass ladies. So as we said earlier in the episode, we always have a badass lady meter upon which we rate our favorite B 
female protagonist from the book. We're not saying they have to be a quote unquote badass. This is just a skill on which we say how awesome they are as a woman, as a character, as a, an inspiration. Here, here. So would you like to go first or would you like me to go first? I would like to go first. Great. My badass lady is Catriona. Love Catriona. And I rate her the elusiveness yet obviousness of the fact that Flinks has been her familiar all along. I know. <laughs> it's so great. And it's so hard for Catriona because she loses her animal speech because yeah. she gives it to Rosie. Um, and I also, I can tell what an incredible character she is because I really missed her after we lost her as our protagonist and we lost her first person perspective. Yeah. And it made me remember that reading this when I was young, which we didn't really talk about because we had so many other things to talk about, but I really resented her for getting married because it felt to me like then That's she stopped what took her being away. interesting because we didn't get yeah. that insight into her life anymore. And she stopped being the protagonist. Yeah. And it's just because it was convenient for the plot. And that was the time when Rosie needed to take center stage. Like she yeah. was finally old enough to learn about her true identity. And I have to say one of my favorite parts of the book is when Rosie is in her new bedroom at Barter's house for the mm. first time. And she's feeling very afraid and not knowing why and trying to like orient herself within those whitewashed walls yeah. and trying to ascertain how to walk through her new surroundings and like just burped too <laughs> just trying to connect and feeling like it's so hard to do that um and the, just that that feeling of placelessness yeah. and confused it's very identity. relatable it yeah it, it's written so well it feels so true um so i i love i love rosie i love switching over to her but i missed i missed catriona yeah yeah i am gonna do something a little unorthodox and I'm going to say that my baddest lady is Peony. Um, I think she is fascinating, and she does end up shouldering a lot of a lot of the burden. Yeah, <laughs> can you imagine if your best friend came to you, or rather, your best friend's like secret fairy godfather yeah. and you know adoptive mother came to you and were like, "Okay, so here's the deal. We're gonna." Okay, we're going to make, we're going to pretend like you're the princess, but we're doing that because the princess is supposed to die and... And you're going to get hurt, but you probably won't you're die. You're like, definitely bad things are going to happen to you, but like, maybe you won't die, but like, I don't know. Let's find <laughs> out. Like, let's see. Um, and throughout, like the fact that she loses her identity yeah. and the thing about Peony is... She gets to be a princess and she gets to marry her true love. And she, she gets to marry Roland, but she loses so much. I know. This is why she's my badass lady because yeah. her parents don't love her. Because, yeah. It's really upsetting. And the part when she's talking about how her adoptive parents don't love her is so heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, and that really struck me because I don't feel like that happens in fantasy yeah. stories very mm -hmm. often. It was really surprising Yeah, when she started talking about that. And, you know, she tries to be like matter of fact about it, but she's been searching for that love for so long. And I, I also adore that Rosie is so set to hate her because she's so perfect yeah. and so sweet. And Rosie is so stubborn mm -hmm. and just weird. And they're both it turns out they're both scared of the other yeah and you know pretty much immediately become incredibly close friends because they have so much to like teach one another about how to approach the world um yeah it's it's perfect and peony sacrifices everything i mean yeah she gets to go be the princess but she and she gets to be with the man she loves which up to that point she really thought she would not be able to but the and fact she that she she leaves rosie she leaves cat and aunt and everyone for in sure the but now she gets loving parents it's true the parents are but i feel like that's a weird wrinkle too I know. because they've been tricked into thinking that rosie's not their child and the queen knows yeah, that rosie is like her deep child down. you can tell that there are some like paradigm shifts happening in her brain mm -hmm. and she's not 100% on exactly what's going on, but she has been, you know, glamored 
And the princess ship has passed to Peony. So the queen is like, okay, well, I guess, yeah, that's happening now. Because the queen was a weird outsider in her own right when she was young. And the... She was fairly just provincial. Ed, like, kind of randomly ended up in her kingdom and was like, yeah. hey, you're eligible. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's all super interesting to me. I would love a sequel that's about like Peony and Rosie's futures and what the really kingdom cool. is like. Yeah. And because I'm sure there are lingering ramifications of, oh, of course. everyone being super confused about what happened and why the princess is suddenly and different. Even and the smallest magics create ripples here. So exactly. of course there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. And we see that again and again throughout the book. Like there's no easy, clean way that any piece of magic can play out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... I'm reading Peony, the lovingest royalist family in all the kingdom, plus golden curls that she's comfortable with and that she rocks and she doesn't cut off so they're two inches long. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's got that. Girl's got it. Yeah. And there's so many other wonderful female characters too. There's actually very few men <laughs> in this book. There's Barter, there's Icor. Narl. And there's Narl. That's about it. The king hilariously is like, like non-existent. Doesn't have a line no. in the book. He's, I was thinking about that after I finished it. I was like, does the king care? He's basically <laughs> an extra. Like he's yeah. not a character. That was, that was pretty funny. Super funny to me. Yeah. But yeah, this is this is a woman's world. So yeah. get with it. Okay. I think that's everything for Spindle's end. Um I meant to mention this outright, but we've had so many requests for another Robin McKinley book. So we really hope this satisfied and we would love to do more in the future Mm -hmm. too. Yeah. Um, If you have any other authors or specific books that you'd like to request, not Tamara Pierce. We know you want more Tamara Pierce. <laughs> We've done so many. Not That's be- coming. We we love we will Tamara do, Pierce. We will do more Tamara Pierce. Obviously. I really want to do the Circle of Magic because yep. we've only done mm-hmm. Tortolan Universe books yeah. until this point. We're going to do it. And I don't mean to, you know, be cruel to anyone who has requested Tamara Pierce. We're just Pierce. trying really hard we're to, trying. <laughs> to diversify yeah. our offerings. We want to make sure that we're covering. But we will do more Tamara Pierce, so don't worry about and that. And I found... a. Tamara Pierce exclusive podcast recently that you guys should check out if you want. It's called Tortolan Recall. Tortol Recall. Tortol Recall. Um, And it's a group of friends that are rereading different Tamara Pierce series book by book. So they're going full hog like so in yeah order go quench your book. thirst so there. Go check that out. They're a, diff- a different kind of podcast than ours but you know. There's room for plenty of opinions about Tamara Pierce in this world, and I wish it had more. If you're a new listener, thank you so much for listening. Please reach out. Let us know what you want to hear from us, what you want the podcast to be like. You can get in touch with us at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. Our website is dragonbabiespodcast.com. We are on Twitter at dragonbabiespod and Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast. And we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. So I think that's it. I'm a Meryl, but I'm not plummeting to my death. And I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. (laughs) Until next time. (laughs) Goodbye.